Oh, what's this on there? Oh. Well, I didn't realize this was 72 pages. So as we read, you can see that the theme has changed from sin because that's all we've heard for five lessons is sin. And I'm sure some probably got tired of it. I understand. But the theme changes from sin to righteousness. Having come to the conclusion that all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God, as we read in verse 23. The question is, is there any hope for the moral bankruptcy and condemnation of man? You see, as verse 20 came to a close, we find man facing the greatest dilemma, the greatest dilemma for a sinner and the worst outcome for mankind. But God reveals in those two words, but God. So keep in mind, it's God. It's not man that reveals this. It's not the doctrines of man. It's not some church catechism. What is revealed? Righteousness. Righteousness for unrighteous man. We must understand the righteousness of God does not reside in being filled with the Holy Spirit. The righteousness of God does not reside in water baptism. The righteousness of God does not reside in going to church. That's why I'm not a whole lot about just taking somebody to church. They're not going to learn the righteousness of God. They're going to learn when you and I sit down with them and teach them the righteousness of God. It, the righteousness of God does not come about by giving tithes and offerings or some religious experience or the laying on of hands or taking communion or declaring some phrase or mantra. And the righteousness of God does not come through keeping the law. However, there is a righteousness that is given by God. And that righteousness was first declared in Isaiah 54 in 17. When the prophet said, The heritage of the servants of the Lord is their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. So, verse 21 again. But now, as mentioned, the two most important words in the Bible. In verse 21, point number one. There is an apart from law. Righteousness. There is, there is righteousness that has nothing to do with the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments for the unrighteous man. In the biblical sense, the apart from law righteousness is expressed 
by two ideas. And this is so important. Realizing that it is a divine act of God that puts a sinner into a right relationship with God. There is secondly a divine act that conforms one, his character, to the character of God. And that's making an individual righteous. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is both imputing and imparting God's holiness. It is God's provision for the sinner. And it comes about through the blood of God's Son, Jesus the Christ. It is affected by faith, obviously repentance of the sinner, and it's received entirely by grace on man's part and on the blood atonement on God's part. It is declared by our confession. Listen, when we're confessing, did you know we're not confessing our sins? The sins have already been repented of. The sins have already been dealt with where? At the cross. My confession is, Jesus is now my Lord. Jesus is the one that I now receive and accept Him as the very Lord of my life. And if He's not made the Lord of my life, then one obviously would never lay down their life for Him. And nor would they make any effort to walk daily with Him. Does that make sense? So, what I confess is the divine work of God on my behalf. He is the one who has made me righteous. Something I could never do. And if He has not made me righteous, guess what? I am still in my sins. My, uh, my confession then is evidenced by water baptism as a result of having been made righteous by the divine act of God. The righteous then are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they walk in newness of life. Being made righteous is so much more than just declaring, oh, my sins have been forgiven. And that's what it seems like the churches dwell on, or Christians, oh, my sins are forgiven. Now what? No, the confession is, I've been made righteous. I'm ready for a new life. So, in verse 21, continuing, there is a righteousness that does not come by keeping the law. And there are six points in view there in that verse. The law could never make the guilty righteous. The law was given to judge sin. The law does not give the sinner power to do right. The law came on tablets of stone. Now God's righteousness has come in flesh. God says, I will write my laws on their hearts. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. The righteousness of the law was found in the letter where God's righteousness is affected by the Spirit in men's hearts. Remember the verse 
2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter killeth? Well, that's the law. But the Spirit giveth life. And number six, the law results in legalism. It results in self-righteous pride. We saw that by looking at the Jews in chapter 2, chapter 3, uh, the early part of chapter 3. Righteousness by grace produces repentance and faith toward God, and it results then in the confession of one's faith and being then united with Christ in baptism. So, this apart from law righteousness was foretold. It was witnessed by the law and the prophets. And I'm not going to dwell a lot of time on that because I think we understand that. I want you to see, though, that this apart from law righteousness is for the present time. Now has been manifested. It's now revealed. It's now made known. The verb's in the perfect tense. It indicates that the righteousness has completely been revealed. Where's it revealed? In the Son of God. So then the question is, do we nullify the law through faith? Well, that's verse 31. May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. The righteousness of the law is established through faith. There was nothing wrong with the law. Man just couldn't keep it. It was quite righteous. The law exposed man's guilty nature. So point number two. There is a righteousness of God, verse 22, available to all men. You see that in your Bible? Unto all of them, unto all and upon all that believe. It is a righteousness that is received through faith. Verse 22 and 25. Faith is the instrument. Faith is the means through which righteousness comes. We must believe it in order to receive it. So faith is based upon a promise. All faith is based upon a promise. That is, that God will keep His Word. His covenant is immutable and everlasting. God cannot lie. So faith responds to the promise of the Gospel, which He receives the righteousness of God. The righteousness that He could not possibly have otherwise. So faith does not merit, it does not earn, it's only the channel, it's only the conduit through which God gives His righteousness. Now, since the sinner could never have been made righteous on the basis of works, God established another basis upon which He could establish His righteousness in man. That's down there in verse 27. Where then is the boasting? All boasting is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. By a law of faith. So faith made God's righteousness available to all men. The righteousness of the law was available to those under the law. Men walked before God with a perfect heart. 
Didn't say they were perfect, but a perfect heart. They were blameless. So faith furnishes a basis upon which all men can receive God's righteousness. Faith is the thing which bridges the gap between God and man. So then in verses 29 and 30, which we read, Or is God the God of the Jew only? Is He not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, He's also God of the Gentiles. If indeed God is one, and He will do what? Justify, make righteous the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So, I want to point out something may not in any way affect this group, but I'm going to tell you it affects several thousand believers in this community. Okay? So we respect their faith, but I want to point out something. And that is Scripture insists baptism is not the element that justifies us. Baptism is a confirmation of our union with Christ. Baptism is neither the element that forgives sins. All sins were born by Jesus at Calvary. All sins were therefore forgiven. Or Jesus did not carry our sins to the cross. He went to the cross and left our sins behind. See? And then baptism is not a substitute for the blood atonement. Nor could baptism possibly make man righteous. It testifies as a witness to our new standing before God in Christ. Now, certain denominations, I've already pointed it out, they insist that baptism is that which saves. And it forgives sins. And they're going to quote Mark 16, 16, He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. So it takes two things to get saved and only one to be lost. And, you know, Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And 1 Peter 3.21, Romans 6 and 4, we'll get over there in a few days. But these are used as proof texts. I know it for a fact. And they make the argument that it's fact and not opinion. What do these passages insist upon? They insist upon the importance of water baptism. And they confirm our standing with God as we have been made righteous and justified already before we're baptized. See, it's impossible. It is impossible for there to be two or more elements that justify a sinner. So which, which one is it? There's only one element that can make a man righteous. There's only one element that can forgive sins. So God makes men righteous when by faith they accept by faith the gift of God and they are made something that they were not before. Righteous. I think we've made that argument well. You know, it's interesting remembering the preaching of, of the Apostle Peter on Pentecost. I've often thought of this. 
See, up to that moment, because I mentioned that they quote Acts 2.38 as a proof text, all right? But up to the day of Pentecost, we have no record of any apostle being baptized in order for their sins to be forgiven. So who's going to dare question that they were righteous? That they had been made righteous? No one in the upper room was told, oh, well, we need to go get baptized for the remission of sins. See? It isn't there. Pentecost followed 50 days after the cross. Now, look at Romans 3.24. To let the Bible, God's Word, conform, confirm how, H-O-W, how men are justified before God. Are you there? Yes. Justified freely by His grace. So, again, justification is God's righteous acts of removing the condemnation, the guilt, the penalty of sin by grace. While at the same time, declaring the unrighteous to be righteous through their trust in Christ and His atoning sacrifice. How much do they pay for it? It's freely. If it's freely, it's without anything on a person's part. Or it wouldn't be freely. See? I don't know why people sometimes can't get this. But they don't. A lot of people don't. And it's sad. Because I'm not making this up. I'm just reading it and pointing out exactly what it says. Not an interpretation of it. Freedom flows from God's grace. And it's freedom that Christ has liberated the sinner. The sinner is justified before God by grace through faith. The justified do what? They accept. They receive God's merciful judgment in Christ and place an absolute trust in the Savior who is the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith leads to an obedient walk daily with Christ. A walk that is described over in chapter 6, verse 4, as being newness of life. He that saith he abideth in him ought also to walk even as he walked. 1 John 2 and verse 6. So, the justified man has forgiveness. Verse 25, through his blood. You see that? Through his blood. So, being justified is being cleared of every charge against the sinner. Righteousness is the sinner's greatest need. It's also God's greatest gift. If one has been forgiven of their past sins and saved, as some would say, yet they have not been made righteous, is he not still unrighteous? And therefore, if he's unrighteous, what does he face? God's judgment for his unrighteousness. See, we can't have it both ways. Now, it is blood that forgives, not water. 
Where's the blood? At the cross. It's not in water. Can't be both places. It is an impossibility. And there's no biblical support that the sinner somehow can contact the blood of Christ, our Savior, in contaminated, 90 degree, heated water, even if he's baptized in the Jordan River. Now, explain that miracle. I had somebody try to convince me of that. A quite prominent person in this city. I said, what are you talking about? Yeah, we contact the blood when we're baptized. Well, that sounds like a real miracle to me. Why not just accept that God makes us righteous? I've got a lot of stories like that. And then further, one is at a loss of words to biblically explain how water baptism then becomes a propitiation. You see that word we read in verse 25? A propitiation is a satisfaction or a sin offering or an atonement. It means all of those same things. So, if baptism is a propitiation, an atonement, a satisfaction for sin, then obviously we didn't need the cross, did we? We didn't need the blood because we have the water. Point four, this righteousness of God comes through His Son. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood. This was to demonstrate His righteousness. So, in this verse, the righteousness of God is declared. All are put on notice. The cross then becomes what? A blinking billboard throughout the world declaring God's righteousness. And that Christ was on display publicly to the world. He's the Savior. And of course, this speaks of His public death on the cross. There we see the demonstration of God's righteousness. The cross became the announcement to the world. What is the announcement? God declaring, this is how I make men righteous. And don't let any prophet or any teacher tell you otherwise. That's what that billboard says. That's what that cross says. This righteousness comes by the blood of His Son. By His blood. So what happened? Well, let me give you a little review. Let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Son of God visits, makes one last visit to the Father. Now, we're not told what He said when He went off and prayed, but we can understand what He perhaps prayed, like, Father, is there no other way? I mean, wouldn't that be the first thing you and I would ask for? I mean, is there some other way? No, my son. This is your moment. This is why you were made flesh. This is why you 
were sent. A hundred million angels folded their wings and bowed their heads in horror. It's one Friday. It's nine o'clock a.m. And God tells His Son goodbye. He stands in silence for six long hours as His Son was crucified and offered His own blood as the one and only sacrifice, atonement for sin. Look at verse 24. To redeem, we are redeemed by... He paid the price. To release, it means to set free. This word is often used to apply to the buying back of a slave or a captive, making him free by the payment of ransom. You see that word ransom? The redemption of verse 24 is cause and cost. It does not mean to pay a ransom, but to release on ransom. You see, the redeemed, the saved, the righteous are delivered. They are released from the captivity of Satan in the same regard as Israel was delivered from bondage in Egypt. There was no ransom paid to Pharaoh for liberating Israel from slavery. And God did not bargain with Satan at the cross. He did not pay Satan a ransom for a sinner's release. So we need to get that right too. The ransom was the offering of the blood of Jesus. So Satan did not take his life. Remember, he gave it. His blood purchased, released, delivered, and made possible our redemption. And then in Matthew 20, 28, we read this uh, well-known verse. The Son of Man came to serve others and to give His life a ransom for many. When I was writing this and thinking about it, somehow I got reminded of a story that I read um, when I was young. And I read this Russian fable about a master and a servant who went on a journey. And before they reached their destination, they were caught in a blizzard. They lost their direction. When they were found, the master was frozen to death, face down in the snow. When they lifted him, they found the servant, cold but alive. The master had voluntarily placed himself on top of the servant so the servant can live. You and I in like manner. The Son of Man came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for you, for me. And Him being a ransom is further explained in, in the words expiation or propitiation or sin offering. Let me kind of get through here in a minute on something. The word propitiation 
the blood atonement, satisfies God's justice and God's wrath. That wrath we read about quite a bit in chapter 1 and chapter 2. It completely satisfies man's need of redemption. And the redemption is in Christ Jesus. Verse 24, where man is set free and finds a righteousness in Christ that conforms his life to God. This righteousness, again, was demonstrated at the cross. That was the proof. So, verse 26, Now God is able to be just, and He is the justifier of him who has faith in Christ. When does that take place? It says right there, now at this time. It's today. It's in the present time. It's not sometime in the future. It's now. And that's what we get the sinner to look at. It's now been made possible and made known. God is the one who justifies, who vindicates, who makes us righteous, who treats us as just. We are acquitted. We are pronounced and treated as righteous. The justified are treated as not guilty. God could not declare us not guilty because He's already told us in three chapters before this, we are guilty. But He can treat us as not guilty because He's made us righteous. They are acquitted. They are not pardoned. Their record, our record, is expunged. It does not exist. So, to understand the power of justification, we must realize the bondage, the power and the wages of sin and guilt. So, God, by a divine act, has provided justification for the sinner to him who has faith in Christ. Verse 26. So justification is more than pardon. We often say, He's pardoned our sins. No, He's done far more than that. You see, criminals are often pardoned, aren't they? However, the pardon does not remove the guilt. They're still guilty. They just got a pardon to go free. Forgiveness is not justification either. And we need to clarify that. One can be forgiven. A victim often forgives a defendant, do they not? Nearly every week in one of our judicial courts, they will. However, what does the judge do? Well, now that we've heard, you know, the testimony uh, and the, uh, uh, the family speak, he sentenced. He sentenced because of his guilt. And this is why it's so important, guys, to understand justification 
is a divine act whereby the guilty are vindicated. The believer is forgiven and made righteous and justified. The justified do not continue paying for their sins, the sins of the past. They're not earning their freedom. Christ has blotted out, He's put away every sin by His sacrifice. Our sins, once again, the record of our sins is expunged. Quit worrying about what was there. By and through the courts of mercy and the blood of Christ. And the justified are not put on parole. The teaching of the prodigal son teaches that. When he repented, he returned to the father. He didn't, his father didn't say, well, good, good and well, son, but you're going to be on parole till I get my money back. <laughs> See, when a person is paroled, there's conditions. He still has to report to that parole officer. He can't go everywhere he pleases. He is restricted in many areas of behavior. He remains under the surveillance of the law. If he violates or invalidates his freedom, he can be remanded to confinement for whatever his sentence was. And then he serves out his sentence. So very quickly, what have I said tonight? Exactly what Paul says he has explained righteousness in verses 21 to 26. It's manifested in verse 21. It's witnessed in verse 21. It is obtained in verse 22. It is needed, verse 23. It is provided, verse 24. It is declared, verse 25. It is satisfied, verse 26. And there's a sermon for Sunday. Okay? So we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We are justified freely by His grace. And all are justified, whether they're Jew or Gentile, the same way. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, whom do I have in heaven but You? Earth has nothing I desire besides You. Lord Jesus, it's such a joy to escape to You. Thank You for always being with me, lighting my way, lighting the way of all of these who are here, our home group. And when we spend time with You, all of our fears, all of our worries melt away. It's only in Your presence that we feel safe, we feel accepted and whole. And for once, my heart feels fully alive and understood. Lord God, You remind me of who I truly am. But more importantly, whose I am. I cannot thank You enough for the freedom that we experience as we walk in newness of life. In Jesus' holy 
in righteous name, the name that makes one righteous. Amen. Well, that's what you use if you want to lead somebody to Jesus. Really, that's what you need. If they don't get that, then going to church is just may as well be going to a social club. Here's some good singing. Here's some good words. You know, you can get that on a podcast now. Well, you can. Listen to a tape. But this is how God makes men righteous. Okay. Um, I think Carol's got a few little goodies set aside, and I got mine early.